Hey everyone, welcome to the third installment of Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens, our podcast where we pop off about feminism and pop culture. I'm Pate. I'm Quinn. And I'm Nellie. And today we're unpacking episode three of Mrs. America about the iconic and influential Shirley Chisholm, aptly entitled Shirley. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And if you're tuning in again, thanks for coming back. If you like what you hear today, please be sure to give our show a follow on Instagram so you don't miss out when we post new episodes. And Spotify. Um, Before we get started, we'd also like to give a quick plug for our Instagram account, at Feminist Fiends. As we look ahead to future episodes, we'd love to have your input on what movies, shows, books, etc. you'd like to hear us cover and discuss. We hope this platform will be a way for us to engage with you all and find out what you've been binging whilst in quarantine. We promise we won't try to wrangle you into any Instagram pyramid schemes yet. (laughs) Again, that handle is at Feminist Fiends. Now that our shameless self-promoting is out of the way, it's time to dig into today's discussion about Shirley. We are super excited to have a fellow Swanee Women's and Gender Studies alumna on today, Elon Epps. Elon is a badass scholar, leader, and a huge Shirley Chisholm stan. She's virtually joining us today from D.C. Elon, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to not only do something academic for a change, um, but also kind of discuss this episode and Shirley Chisholm, who obviously I love. Yeah, we love her. (laughs) All right, cool. Let's get started. So Elon, I actually have a question for you, not to put you on the spot, but Elon and I took the Women's and Gender Studies course on women's voices. Um, It was a rhetoric course that I discussed in the first episode. And that's when I first became friends with Elon, number one. And number two, realized what a huge Shirley Chisholm fan um, she is. And I'm just curious, what got you interested in Shirley Chisholm? Um, So... My sophomore year, which is actually second semester sophomore year of college, which is actually the year that I became a WGS major, I took Jodi Allen's Out of the Shadows Women of the Civil Rights Movement course. And in that course, every week we were reading a different autobiography about a woman who was in the civil rights movement. And I say woman because she didn't have to just be of color. There were also white women were part of the civil rights movement, which I think was shocking for some of my counterparts um, to find out when we're in the class. And our final project was a paper about a woman during that time period. And I remember the day where we're all sitting in class and she's letting us pick who we want. And so I think she might've had some suggestions or we just kind of threw them out there. I don't remember, it's kind of two years ago. And um, I'd wanted someone else and then someone else took them and it kind of went back and forth and I was like, okay, F it, Shirley Chisholm, why not? Like, love her, I'm kind of obsessed. I had already done some research about her because of, so before then, so long story short, this is really chaotic, sorry. Um, Before then, a family friend of mine, love her dearly, um, had sent me a letter, I think my freshman or sophomore year to Swanee and Shirley Chisholm was on the stamp. And so I was like, cool, thanks for the letter, love it. And she was like, you missed the whole point of the letter. And I was like, why? And she was like, who's on the stamp? And I was like, I don't know. And so she was like, well, like, you need to tell me who that is. 
And so I had to like look up who she was and all these things. And I was like, whoa, pause, badass alert. And so from then on, after that letter, um, which was at some point in college, like before that sophomore class, um, I be, like loved Shirley Chisholm. And so I didn't want to originally do her for this paper because I knew her backstory kind of. But then when I did the paper, I learned more information about her and realized that she really did something um, beyond what is just being like the first woman to run for president. Sorry, but yeah, that's how I don't, don't apologize. That was awesome. Thank no, you. I so love much. hearing your love story with Shirley. I know, it's so <laughs> beautiful. And maybe too, Elon, if you're wanting to share um, just at any point throughout this episode, just kind of, um, I feel like when I learned about your connection to Shirley, it was through your research um, this year with your uh, women's and gender, gender studies senior thesis. So of course, you don't necessarily have to share it right at this moment, because I feel like we're putting you on the spot a lot. But if you're wanting to talk about that now or any point. I'll do it now. I kind of Go for it. Yes. Do it, please. I would love um, that. So for my thesis, I wrote about um, the photographic work of Carrie Mae Weems in conversation with Toni Morrison. And to start that conversation off, I did kind of like the precursor to the conversation, which was like what started the conversation. So I, I didn't call the different parts of my paper, you know, like the analysis or all those things that you typically would in a research paper, but I wanted it to actually be a conversation. So I labeled them like, the pre-conversation, the question, and the com- like all of those things, I was kind of created that way, you know? Liberal yeah, you were. And um, so I used Shirley Chisholm as like the way to do that. And I used her quote, if they don't give you a seat at the table, then bring in a folding chair um, to do that. Because both Toni Morrison and Carrie Mae Weems did that in their own respective fields with their work. They they kind of paved a way for people after them to realize that you don't have to do the same white man story or the same pictures of other people who don't look like you, but you can start to create stories for people who look like you um, and different things like that, which I think was amazing. And I think that's one of the things you kind of see in this episode is the idea that Chili Susan was really saying when she ran for president, why not you? Um, which, which, which I wish you would have seen more of, or even if she would have just said that quote, um is which is like why she ran for president but um a student really asked her um why not run for the 1972 presidential election and she kind of i think paused at that rally and said like why not and that's that was her whole thing you know was being a catalyst for change and realizing that you you have to do it because after you then people realize they can do it um so yeah awesome so, Elon, what did you think about her depiction in the episode as a whole, having, like, studied her in, like, a scholarly aspect and then seeing it um, in more of a fictionalized but, you know, modern-day Hulu representation? <laughs> well, I think back to your first podcast with Dr. Len, and you guys talked about um, Phil Schlafly and Kate Blanchett and how there was kind of, like, that dynamic of having some like person and so I'm gonna go to that um and I think Nellie might have also read it the the newspaper article about from the Washington, Washington Post. Post yeah um, Sonia Roe so mm-hmm. kind of in quote I guess if we're putting like if this was a paper it'd be like starting the quote here <laughs> and, <laughs> honor code um <laughs> so in casting the part Waller looked for someone who could ex- 
exude a larger-than-life charisma and landed on Uzo Aduba, um, orange is the new black, who understood the responsibilities of playing someone so iconic. Aduba's only knowledge of Chisholm's legacy came from what her own mother had taught her. But the more the actress dug into her character's backstory, the more she drew parallels between the uphill battles Chisholm faced then and those of our modern political era. And so for me, I think that was kind of powerful, this idea that the, the writer, the screenwriter was so intentional with who she picked for this role that she didn't just pick any Black woman, but she picked someone who actually had the charisma and power of Shirley Chisholm because that's truly what she had. She didn't just get um, her role in Congress and just like do nothing with it, but she really used her voice and people knew her. You know, when she was coming, people would be like, that's Shirley, that's Chisholm. Um, and I think that's what's really powerful about who they picked because when you watch the Hulu um, things that came before the show actually came out, everyone knew like, oh, that's Uzo. Like, wow, like who's she playing? So even if you didn't know who Charlie Chisholm was, you knew who she was. And so you'd want to know more about this black woman in history that she was playing, which I thought was really cool. And then also when you have that moment, um, which is kind of interesting and I, you might touch on it later in the podcast, but you have that moment where she opens the air vent and she's looking inside. And I was like, now, wow, you have this woman who played someone called Crazy Eyes on a TV show. And now she's playing this iconic woman in history. But there's this parallel here because you almost felt crazy when you were in these positions of power as Black people because you knew they were listening. You knew that they were watching. And so when you have Uzo, who's playing Shirley Chisholm, say, I'm Shirley Chisholm and I'm running for president, that was like, wow. Yeah. with like no fear or anything like she's like okay you want to listen well I'm going to tell you what I'm doing and that was just that was amazing for me yeah and that was thought- so good it's so powerful and I love the way kind of touching back on our previous conversation again in my women's and gender studies I guess you can say career now that we've graduated <laughs> now that we're done um, now that we're done <laughs> I really appreciated Aduba's portrayal of also the vulnerability and the frustration that Chisholm must have felt because, and as I'm sure we'll touch on in a moment, the way that Shirley is treated throughout this entire episode, not just by men, not just by people on the other end of the political spectrum, but really the women that are near and dear to her heart and to her movement and the way that she is alienated and othered by these white women who at first said that they were going to support her unconditionally. I thought that Aduba did a great job portraying just that frustration. Like I felt it for her, like the physicality of, and the weight, as you were saying, Elon, of being this, this visible black, powerful woman, but still having to deal with all of these white female gatekeepers who used who used racialized parameters of power to like keep you down. And I thought it was really cool and really refreshing to see her take on that aspect that I, I think that this show has done a good job. Typically when you think of a powerful woman in media or in Hollywood or in a movie or show, I feel like it can be pretty one dimensional. Like she's just a badass and nothing gets to her and she's a cool girl and she's saving the world and then shotgunning a beer. So to see scenes where it's like full breakdowns and full moments of just utter vulnerability, it 
like brings tears to my eyes and gives me chills just thinking about it. Give her all the awards. That's what I'm saying. Give her all the awards. At Hollywood, if you're listening to me, give her all all the all the trophies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so going back to kind of the othering that Shirley Ch- uh, faces throughout this entire episode, one moment that really stuck out to me, and I think that this was kind of, even though it happened towards the beginning and middle of the episode, was like the penultimate showdown, um, was between Bella, Shirley, Gloria, and Betty. And on the one hand, I was kind of um, surprised to see Betty for Dan portrayed in this way because typically she's othered within the women's movement because she's the one who coined the phrase lavender menace about um, lesbian women and she had a lot of issues with LG- with the LGBTQ plus community being represented in the feminist movement so in my mind I'm always kind of like ew she's a little problematic so to see her be the one to stand up for Shirley and be like no I support you unequivocally I thought that really challenged my perception of what it means to be inclusive in the movement. Like it's not just one dimensional, one size fits all. Um, But I thought Bella's statement, we can't afford to alienate our male allies. That really stuck out to me. Like I had a lot of oof moments throughout this episode, but that was a really big one because I think that today in our political system, we still hear this all the time. Um, but the argument could be made that perhaps working within political systems is not as effective as challenging them if we're still in the same position in 2020. So what did y'all think of this sentiment and the response of the other women to this notion within the scene? Well, I've said in previous episodes kind of how, well, in our previous two episodes that we've had, um, just kind of how sometimes you do definitely need to work within the system to like enact change and oftentimes that system is patriarchal um but then you run that risk of enforcing this hegemonic white patriarchy which of course will get us nowhere um and in this scene you really see especially to me it was surprising after last episode and um both in our podcast and in the series seeing um Gloria talk about how she hates politics but you really see her playing this political game in this episode and so to me like that was upsetting because I was like okay well you hate politics when it affects the issues that like are directly applicable to you but then you're like gonna throw Shirley under the bus more or less when it comes to making sure that um you get the candidate that's gonna promote issues on abortion and things like that so um I don't know I found this episode to be extremely upsetting but not at all unsurprising in terms of um the racial hierarchy that that the show is um drawing attention to yeah go on Elon because I have like a like a moment that kind of applies to our current Swanee experience so I can say that after you Okay, cool. <laughs> Sorry. In um, Shirley Chisholm, The Good Fight, um, it it mentions how, like, a principle of her life is that always strict, which is, like, always strictly maintained, was that the way to change the system was to work within the system. And so then, like, in making a run for presidency, that's exactly what Chisholm did. She used the system that we have and tried to work within that system to make change. And so I think Mm -hmm. that was the difference between her and Bella in that moment was that Chisholm was sticking to her guns of, we have to 
go inside to actually make change. It's, it's not enough to just have their ear in a moment. And you see that, you know, because when Gloria thought she had um, their ear, you know, and gave that up, the floor completely changed and they lost the vote. And so it was like, well, what was it worth? You kind of, you sold, you sold, I don't know if you want to call her your sister, your friend, your partner, whatever out just for kind of to get the ear, but you weren't going to make the change because you didn't actually have the power. They still held the power. And so until you actually obtain that power, you have nothing. And I think that was the thing that Shirley Chisholm wanted to get them to see, um, but they weren't able to see that. And so those were the differences between Bella and Shirley in this episode. And I think throughout the rest of both of their careers, um, which it shows is that they still had strain between them after she never really supported her um, and different things like that. Yeah, I mean, rightfully so, because Shirley absolutely like walks the walk when it comes to like these issues that these other candidates that you see in the show are playing, like absolutely paying lip service to like these buzzwords. And yeah, like you're saying, it won't be um, until that representation of women is present. Like we see that scene where Gloria makes the deal with um, the guy that's working for McGovern. And then like immediately it's just, it's washed away um so yeah (laughs) i also thought it was interesting just a quick point before we go to pate um i the point when bella first of all she just says some nasty nasty things and ending finally with your campaign is a joke which girl well then why did you tell her that she should run a b that's simply incorrect and i love that she kind of corrected herself and was like should not have said that. And it's like, no, yeah, you shouldn't. Because this is something that in 2020, even looking back on 1972 now, that's still revolutionary to us. The fact that Shirley Chisholm took the stand and was like, heck yeah, I'm running for president, even though I'm facing a lot of backlash and a lot of oppression, like y'all step aside. So to completely discredit and discount her is simply incorrect. But then when she gives Shirley that look and Shirley's like, you always said you would support me. Why couldn't you go all the way? And Bella says, I thought you would ask us for it first. You just announced. Oh, that frustrated me so much because it really highlighted the racialized dichotomy of power that was in place for the women's movement and has been since its inception of even though we may want you to be the token black woman that we support and we love and you're up here on stage with us at the end of the day she created an us versus them mentality by saying we inherently the white women i thought you would talk to us about it and i love shirley's response where she said something along the lines of i didn't get anywhere by waiting for anyone to tell me what to do and that's true like on her on the vault in uh in the lake forest cemetery where shirley chisholm is buried it read the inscription reads i'm bought and i'm bossed like slay that's like a drop the mic moment but i just think that that (laughs) is perfectly encapsulated throughout this entire episode like she sticks to her guns yeah that line where she says i didn't get anywhere in my life waiting on somebody's permission if you can't support me get out of my way i was just like yes Uh but It's a problem that she has to say it, though. I mean, that is important to recognize. Pate, go, because we've kept you waiting. (laughs) Oh, it's fine. Going back to the idea of, like, male allyship and, like, making sure that 
you know, you don't upset the male allies. I just can't help but think about the plaque of co-education at Swanee for women's 50th year of um, being on campus. And this idea of like, I know we could all pop off about this as we have in class before, but um, like when I read that and when I heard that, that's just like the immediate first thing I thought of is like, we still are having to do these things in order to, I guess, allow men to feel included and to not feel like they're left out of the conversation when really it's not their conversation. Absolutely. But I think the important part about that and, and going to the show and like all of these things is understanding like who were the gatekeepers, right? And so for women to get permission or whatever to be able to come into Swanee some man had to say, this is okay. I think this will work. This is fine. And, and the same thing goes with um, when Shirley first ran for Congress and then when she tried to get on the ticket, like some man had to not, not stop her. You know, like who, who's at the top who allows it? Because you have, to, you, have to think about the, you have to think about the power that's in place that allows all of the things that happen, you know, the cogs of the system um, that are so much higher than just like the bottom level of like, oh, well it happened, but it happened because who said yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't a woman who was in charge of Swanee at the time. And it wasn't a woman who was in charge of America at the time, you know? And so I think all of that's still important. And so when men aren't feels like they're allied and they feel as if they're just like bypass, that's when they get hurt and they're like, oh, we're going to stop you. And so it's important to think about why the Black Caucus and the people who should have been with Shirley Chisholm were like, no, because she didn't play by their rules. Right. She played by her own rules. And I think it's frustrating as a viewer in 2020 to see it because as I posed in the question, it's the same way now. Like, I feel like we're constantly asking ourselves the question, whether it be in an academic setting or an activism setting or in a political setting, okay, how radicalized can I be to go against the system? Because the male gatekeepers, to your point, Elon, are absolutely still the gatekeepers. And I think that's changing a little bit, but it's definitely something that women have to navigate, women of color especially have to navigate. And it it was hard to watch in 2020. It was hard to watch this episode in 2020 and realize that not much has changed. I feel like I say that on every episode of this, but for this one, it was well. That's why like, I think really it's painful. so. In, that's why I think it's so important that the series is happening now. I mean, and and it's hard because I mean I mentioned this on our first episode, but like there's a 50 year difference between what is happening um, with the ERA movement and today, but and that seems like a very long time to me. Like to me, that seems like a long time, but we're seeing like intense parallels between the two and I think it is important that the show is happening to come out when we're all in quarantine and need to be watching it um and that it's drawing attention to this issue that is still very much present or this vast array of issues that is still very much present in modern day society yeah this is really random but just something I wanted to point out I am by no means a film person at all um so take this for as with a grain of salt but just as a viewer a stylistic choice that i really appreciated in this episode was the inclusion of a lot of footage 
um, from the actual time period that they used as transitions between different scenes. That's something that we haven't really seen before. But for me, it really did a good job of putting me into that mindset of, okay, it is 1972. What is the context that I'm living in, even as a 22-year-old woman currently who was not alive during that time period, giving me a sense and a feel of what that would look like. And also kind of, it, it made the stakes feel more realistic and more present. So that was just, um, I know that everyone and all the big Hulu execs listened to our really big famous podcast. So I just wanted to give y'all a shout out. I really appreciated that. That was really cool. What was particularly interesting to be seeing that scene where um, college students were campaigning for Shirley especially like as now college grads as of Sunday, but like just to be kind of, again, that parallel between our period of life and when this was happening. Well, that, it brings you back to realize where all of these like different movements really started. And so which I first mentioned kind of when we started, it wasn't, it wasn't Shirley's idea to run. It was a student who gave her this idea. And so she would go talk and different things on hundreds of different college campuses, you know? And so those were kind of, it kind of signifies these grassroots efforts that happened back then and still happen today. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of the differences between the two. And so, and it, it shows you the importance of the student's voice, but also kind of shows parallel with the civil rights movement and how a lot of what happened there also stemmed from college campuses. Yeah, absolutely. Young people, Got power, not really, but we have a lot of drive. <laughs> not often that young people are given power, but we take it. Power to make change. Um, this is so random, but one thing that this kind of came after the scene with um, kind of the big upset between Bella and Shirley. Um, she's in her hotel room um, with, um, if y'all remember the... Nixon had sent Secret Service to protect um, all the different presidential candidates. So she has um, these white Secret Service men with her. Um, and there's this one kind of, for me, especially thinking about kind of the stylistic choices from um, the producers and the production of the show, seeing there, there was like this one very subtle yet like hugely noteworthy scenes for me was right after... The scene with Bella when Shirley's in her hotel room preparing for the convention and her secret service are in the next room over watching All in the Family. Um, and I don't know if y'all are familiar with All in the Family. Um, it's one of yeah. like the OG um, sit American sitcoms, I feel like, um, or I think of it that way. Um, and I was reading, I just kind of wanted to dig in more about like All in the Family and the, the kind of how it was viewed at the time and the choice to use it in the show um and essentially like the i was reading an article in smithsonian magazine that says quote the sitcom represented a turning point for its engagement with topical controversial themes such as race relations homosexuality and feminism an effort to reach baby boomer audiences and for representing the kind of ordinary working people who had thus far become invisible on screen, end quote. Um, and so like the main character, Archie Bunker, um, who you see briefly in the scene in Mrs. America was used by All in the Family's creator, Norman Lear, um, quote, as a device to make racism and sexism look foolish and unhip, but liberals protested that as a 
quote, lovable bigot Archie actually made intolerance acceptable, end quote. Um, and you really see, if you listen closely in the scene, you can hear the accepted tolerance in action um, with the white Secret Service staff laughing as Archie saying, um, the damn people are inferior to white people. Um, and I just thought it was like absolutely masterful, just as someone who has taken classes on pop culture and um, looked into this show before and thought about its place in history, just how the the creators of Mrs. America kind of embedded it into the scene. It's so subtle, but for me, I was just like, oh my gosh, that's All in the Family. Like, that's really interesting because I feel like All in the Family has a, has had kind of an influence and very much a parallel today to Archie Bunker's parallel to Make America Great Again and kind of yeah. that rhetoric today. Well, and it was also interesting because that's referenced again by Steinem at the end where they've just been defeated and they're sitting on the floor waiting for McGovern to come out. And she kind of makes the joke like, oh, well, my vice presidential candidate that I nominated got more votes than Archie Bunker, so I can go home with my head held high. So I agree. I thought that that was a very masterful way to tie that um, that little tidbit back in to the end. Um, just a quick note, because you know I love framing. I've talked about her in every episode, and I will talk about her until probably the day that I die. But again, we access and end this episode through Schlafly. We know we have to bring her up at some point, even though talking about Shirley is far more fun. Um, but Schlafly is back and badder than ever. And I thought it was interesting that in a lot of ways, the racialized differences that we see in the ERA movement are kind of paralleled in the stop ERA movement, because although neither is technically outright racist, I mean, Schlafly doesn't consider herself to be a racist, although she is definitely complicit and sees it as a way, um, she doesn't condemn it in order to further her own political goals. I think you kind of see that in the ERA movement as well. And so I think it was another moment where I had to step back and say, okay, let me reassess my heroes of these feminists that I look to from the 60s and 70s that, yes, created a foundation for where we are today. But if I'm seeing similarities between Schlafly's grassroots movement and this movement that I've come to love and have studied and really respect, what does that say about my understanding of feminism? So I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah, I think for me, one thing about this episode that I don't know if it bothers me, if I think it was a good thing, like, I don't know where I'm at with it. Like, I think I would need to go, like, talk to some people about it and then sit with this more, like, maybe a year in a year, I could tell you how I feel about this episode. <laughs> but thinking about the series after two episodes that don't mention what's going on in America, like, at all, really, and then you have this episode that's just impacted with all of these innuendos or like suggestions of what's actually happening coinciding with like the women's movement is so interesting to me because I think that's something that in American history is so necessary to always do is make sure you understand that like while A is going on, B is going on and C is going, like all of these things are building off of each other. And so one of the things that was happening within like the the Women's Caucus, I believe, yeah, is that you had these different tensions about what they were fighting for. And yeah, when it comes to Slafly, you actually have her part of the episode kind of examining, I think, 
these other parts of like race relations that we don't actually have examined in Chisholm's part of the episode. Mm -hmm. And so when you're in the stock ERA part of the episode, you see how like housewives and different things are dealing with racism and not liking black people and all these different things. And you don't outwardly see that in the Chisholm part of the episode, except when you have like these mentions of the all in the family um, and different things like that, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like, how do you have a whole show that is during the civil rights movement at the same time as ERA, but this one episode that's about a black woman is the only time I've seen so far. And one mention of Angela Davis, which I don't remember if that was in the second episode or this episode, um, that mentions all these things. And I think that's something that you need to look into, you know, is like, what were you really doing if you're not going to show your place in America's history when ERA was taking place, you know? Mm-hmm. See, one of my issues and, and also, you know, with second wave feminism and feminism in general is that they don't really call themselves out. They don't really mm-hmm. say what's really going on. And I think that's what you're dealing with here, Quinn, is this idea of realizing, wow, I kind of look up to all these people. I look up yeah. to this movement, but they made some mistakes. Oh yeah. And when you make some of these mistakes, it's important to look back and say, wait, 50 years now, we're making the same mistakes just yeah. in different ways. Um, you can look to the women's marches, you can look to oh, yeah. who they're supporting politically now, how they're still making the same mistakes, but they're just kind of coded over because there are other women in the playing field. So you don't really look at them the same way, but they're still happening. And I yeah. think that's what's really imperative. And so this episode for me is really weird because you're not showing us that in America, it's like racist all around, except yeah. when you have like the death threat, when you have an all in the family and all those things. And that's like what what's happening. So we're living in a white world, but we just have Shirley Chisholm and like the one black man that Gloria Steinem is in a relationship with. Like, really? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And then the maid. Like that's and the maid. Like- yeah. Oh my God. And the maids. Like, yeah. uh, you had like these moments, sorry, I'll stop after this. You had these no, moments. Pop off, pop this off. Great. You had these moments where like the maids kind of caught glimpses of Chisholm on the TV. And which was kind of interesting. And I feel like this is so purposeful. Oh my God. Was when she, you, they were finishing with like the DNC and um, Chisholm was on stage and had just talked or whatever. And the maid is there and she's looking at the cans and she's like, I don't think they ever really expire. And yeah. Shafley's like, well, you can take them. And you, you, I felt for her because I feel like she was like, I don't need your leftovers. I was just yeah. letting you know that they're still good. And she was like, I'll take them to the church. And it was like all of these things that are so layered that it's like, how do you even impact them? Because you're not, you're not giving us time to impact them. And I don't think that the writers wanted us to have time to impact them. I think they wanted you to be hit all of these moments, you know, from the death threat through showing you the Black Caucus is not supporting her through the next thing. Like, it was all to show you, like, this is what's going on. We're going to show you this one segment episode that is so impacted. And if you miss it, you miss it. Like, my mom would say that. She would say, if you miss it, you miss it. But, like, we're catching it, you know? And so when you're catching it, you need to really unpack what's really going on and how, like, this one Black maid is showing you how other Black people are seeing what she's doing are going to be inspired by what she's doing. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'll stop there. But it's like, it was so crazy to me. I don't know. Well, and it reminds me of 
things that you've brought up in previous episodes, Pate, where we talked about in the last episode, there's that scene where it's the two groups of women entering the courthouse to have the hearings on ERA. And one is the stop ERA side and the other is the ERA side. And there are a lot of women of color and on the ERA side. They're not on the stop ERA side, but we don't get to know any of them. Like to your point, Elon, the only consistent black character up until this point has actually just been the maid. Like, I think that she's the only one who has appeared in all three episodes up until this point. So it again brings in to question, is this just tokenism? Like, I understand if you're a writer, there's only so much that you can uncover and handle. But at the same time, I think that dealing with the civil rights movement should like take precedence. And also I don't think it's fair or maybe it could be a critique of it. I don't know. But at least in my watching and after hearing you speak, Elon, it makes me look more critically on past episodes and think, okay, so you were very eager and willing as a creative team to show that women of color supported the ERA movement, but we're not going to hear their voices. We're not going to hear their experiences. We're not going to understand anything that was going on in their experience beyond what white womanhood looked like at this point. So thank you for those comments because that now I like kind of want to go back and rewatch the first three episodes because I think that's completely accurate. I'll also add, and I had to do research last night on this, is that Flo Kennedy is shown. So she's the woman yeah. who um, Steinem shows up to her party um, at with. And then Flo Kennedy is consistently shown throughout different moments, either with Steinem or with Chisholm because she was um, kind of voices that both of them listened to heavily, you know. Yeah. So Kennedy at the time was someone who founded the Black feminist movement and was really influential, but you don't know that. And yeah. I think for me, that's an issue because I know enough to be like, okay, I know she's someone, but who is she? Should I like, had to Google, not like, had to Google Nisi Nash's character in Miss America, came up and I was like, okay, I know who that is. Let's go. But who else is going to do that? They're just going to think she's some black woman who was friends with all of these people, but she actually was a big character and a big Huge, person yeah. in the time of history. And I think that's really important that when you have a show like this, that's trying to incorporate so many things, you're, you're going to miss things. And I think, I think we're acknowledging that, but you also have to understand, like give them some grace with that because they're trying, yeah. but it's like, unless they did a full series that gave us backstories of all of them, um, you, you're not going to know all of that. And so it's kind of, it's hard to know um, what they should have told us, what they shouldn't have said, um, or I don't know. Well, and I think the tricky thing about not, because I agree, we have to give them grace, but I think the tricky thing about not introducing Flo Kennedy more than the show did is that there are fictionalized characters in the show. So for all, like, if you're not someone that's going to take the time to do the research, you could be like, oh, that's an Alice. Like, she's fictional. And, like, not then, like, and so that's something that I've been struggling a little bit is, like, finding the balance between the fiction and the nonfiction. And I think, while yes, like, I guess the show can't really introduce every single character to us, and, and maybe it will. Like, I haven't finished the series yet, but... Um, I feel like it, can, it walks a scary line when some characters are fictionalized and we get to know them better than we get to know the characters that were real players in this, in this time period. Yeah, and I still, like, even after the first episode, when I, you know, had a question about, like, 
the different positions that women of color had, either the maid or Shirley Chisholm running for president. It's like night and day. And even on this episode, I feel like there is still not representation of women of color that aren't like don't fall in either one of those categories. I mean, I think we get a little bit more, but kind of what y'all have all said is that it's still not, you know, we don't see the whole picture. We don't see, you know, the whole story. Yeah, we're definitely not. I agree. We're The show is kind of straddling like two main storylines with the ERA movement and the stop ERA. And then like the choice to leave out pretty much the civil rights movement to me is, is a problem as you addressed Elon. And we really only hear mentions of it through the Black Caucus and mentioning how the Black Panthers um, endorse Shirley, but like we just hear mention of key groups um, in the movement, but we don't really, we're not seeing um, nearly enough. So I think an, an interesting question is this idea about the tension between symbolic and tangible political change and like um, what the difference between the two and why they're mutually excuse, exclusive. Um, and just this, you know, we talked about the argument um, between the four women about Shirley Chisholm dropping out of the race. And, you know, some say it's more about like the symbolic nature of a black woman running for president. Um, but Shirley Chisholm didn't just see it as that. She wanted to keep going. So I think that's like an interesting topic question and would love to hear y'all's thoughts on that. Yeah, this was something that really stuck out to me because, Kate, as you said, they are presented as mutually exclusive throughout this episode. You can't have both. It's one or the other. So we never really see anyone kind of toe that line because for Bella, it's this is completely symbolic and she sees value in that. I genuinely believe that she sees value in Shirley's run. But Shirley is like, okay, yes, I agree that me coming out and saying, hey, I'm running for president, and this is who I am, and this is what I look like, and these are my experiences, that in and of itself is powerful, but I also believe that I can do more than that and enact political change, intangible political change. Um, and that's like, I think that's where the big disagreement from between Bella and Shirley stems, is that at the end of the day, it really seems as though Bella doesn't think that in the current political climate, women have tangible political power yet. So I think that in her view and to her point, she's thinking, yes, this is symbolic. The men are the gatekeepers. They're the ones with tangible political power. And if we want to get a bit of that tangible political power, we need to jump on board with them. But I thought that it was really interesting because you see Gloria is almost kind of the viewer in this episode in a weird way because I felt for her where she's being tugged in both directions. We already know that she doesn't like politics. So she's really struggling with this, this decision to either support Shirley or support McGovern because she feels like her personal values and interests are on the line. But in the end, she kind of buys into Bella's idea of tangible versus symbolic power and it's something that i don't want to agree with like the west wing watching optimist in my heart is like we can have both in america but i think that we're seeing time and time again that maybe we can't and that makes me sad i think this is a this is a difficult question i refer back to your podcast how 
Dr. Lin kind of towed the line in answering um, her response. Um, I think for me, Chisholm, she knew what she was doing. I mean, I want to quote her because I'm going to. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because why not? I can. So, yes. She says, like, I ran because someone had to do it first. And so, in being the first African American to run for president, they knew that it was possible that Black women and people of color could not only be in politics, but run for president. And both of those groups of people, which were, are marginalized when it comes to politics, um, Shirley Chisholm stood up and said that we can. And so, it wasn't the point for Shirley Chisholm to win the election. In fact, she said, we didn't have what it takes. And they knew that from the start. The point was to prove that people of color and women have the autonomy in politics to take larger roles in government. At different points, I was quoting her, sorry. And so I think it's important to understand that she was symbolic because she did it, right? So she's now forever the symbol yeah. of being the first. She broke the ceiling when she did it for the first time 50 years ago. And since then, it took until what, eight or so years ago before it's like someone did it again. And so you have to understand that for her to do it, then Barack Obama knew he could do it. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's in all of these ways, you know, it, the old saying is like, someone walked so I could run and they ran so I could fly, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if you think about it, it's kind of that same trajectory. But it's also important to know that Chisholm knew that you don't have anything without power. And it wasn't that yeah. she just ran for president and being Joe Blow. She ran for president and already had a seat in Congress. <laughs> Right. Yeah. For seven terms. And so I think that's really important. And I think for me, that's something else that Miss America doesn't show you is that she yeah. was a congresswoman. She wasn't just someone who held the hands of these white people and stood on the stage. And I think yeah. if you don't have the history of her at all. You're like, this is this is what. But <laughs> that was a powerful moment because she already had the power and was then on that platform in that moment. And so I think that's where you have to understand that Chilicism had power, but was trying oh, yeah. to gain more power to really have a voice and to really make greater change than she already was able to do in passing bills and different things like that. And I think th that's the levels to this um, that goes beyond the, the initial thing that was happening within these women going against each other. You know, I think Bella's whole thing was, well, we're going to get power because he's going to listen to us if he gets back and if he gets in power versus what we currently have, which is Nixon. And he's like, you know, and that wasn't, they weren't, there's no fourth thought there of understanding that you need to actually be in power to have power. So yeah, I think yeah. that's why like it goes for me hand in hand where it's like the symbolism of her running for president was really important because now people forever will know that they can do it. Um, even when you have, um, AOC documentary on Netflix, I forget what it's called, but that I, I, I talked about on my blog and then I actually watched it like this past weekend or whatever. And that was actually kind of cool because you see these three women and none of them actually had political interests before and mm -hmm. something in their lives spurred them to go gain political power because they knew that without it, that they could make no change for their community, whether it was political change and getting more voices for minority people, political change and eliminating ICE, or whether it was different things of that nature. Um, and in the documentary, AOC is the one who actually wins. But you understand that it was people before her that knew she could do it. It wasn't AOC who stood up and said, oh, I'm going to do this. 
there were actually organizations out there who said she could do this. And so my point in connecting all these things is that you have to understand that years of marginalization for people of color or for different things is really brutal. But when you finally have these moments of positivity of having these kind of icons in our history that show us that we can be more than our past, you then know that you can be more than your past. And then we have all these success stories now, which I think is really powerful. Um, so yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. Thanks, Elon. Well, I think we're going to have to wrap up. We're kind of coming up on our time. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about before we wrap it up? I just, I think what I would say, like, so as you're wrapping up, I think it's important to know that you can do anything that you set your mind to do. And so if it's Shirley Chisholm's story or someone else's story um, that shows you that, learn from that and then do it. And I think that's what's really important, you know? She was truly a catalyst for change, unbossed and unbothered. Um, she took a seat, she did all of these things. And so I myself, as a black woman, 22, I look up to her and I'm like, I know I can be the first to do anything. And so you should take that and really hold that. Heck yeah. Oh, I needed that. I know, that made me happy. <laughs> the words of wisdom we need always but especially during this crazy time um all righty um well thank thank you elon and thank yes. you to everyone joining us this has been feminist fiends and quarantine queens and um as we did last week we're going to close with a quote um you've already heard it um but it's important to repeat it again um this is the quote that elon used in her thesis if they don't give you a seat at the table bring a folding chair Shirley chisholm this has been feminist fiends and quarantine queens see you next week bye bye